Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to this episode of the Relevate Podcast. Today, we turn our inspiration to the glorious topic of food, specifically how food is love. I believe magic happens when you cook and serve something with love and when it's shared around the table with others. Joining me today on Relevate is my young and fabulous friend, one of Atlanta's favorite celebrity foodies, Sky Estroff. I know you'll enjoy her infectious energy and inspiring views on food as much as I do. Sky Estroff, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you, Rena. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. And I'm just so excited that you love food as much as I do, is what it sounds like. I, I know. When you were our guest at Rotary, I was like, yes. <laughs> a, a woman after my own heart. And you could just tell that, you know, everybody in the crowd was just so enamored by your presentation and by you and kind of just your your love and your passion for food. So how fun that you found your niche in life so early on. So I am excited to learn more about you and I know my listeners are as well. So just tell us a little bit about your background, Sky. Thanks, Rhea. And thanks for saying that that was a fun presentation. I'm glad that I could liven up a morning that started at 7.15 because that's not normally when I start talking in the day. So <laughs> I'm glad it all made sense at the time. And I appreciate that we are not meeting at 7.15 for this um, interaction. <laughs> we, we picked a better time. But I guess like the short version of my story is that I have just found, I, I don't know, I guess it's just like food has always been my love language when people would give me food as gifts or take me to a restaurant or cook with me. That's when I felt so much love in my life. And I always, that's how I shared that with other people of cooking for people or baking for people or mm -hmm. talking about food. Um, and I cooked with both my grandmas in the kitchen growing up. Mm -hmm and they're just the best. And I still cook with them. And it's like our favorite things to talk about. We always compare recipes and, um, they're just really great inspirational food figures in my life. So I, I think they really taught me early on my parents. My dad is a great baker, not a good cook. My mom is an excellent cook, but not a good baker. So oh, all sides. And my mom, home cooked all of our meals growing up. We would go out to eat occasionally, but really she was a great home cook. And so I was spoiled and I just figured everybody else had that experience and they might not have. And so the more that I could take classes about food, the more I would, because I just wanted to be involved in that world. And that from a very young age too, right? 
Yes. I mean, I was like, they used to joke about me going to fancy restaurants as a child and being the only child they'd let in because I was so well-behaved and I would just sit there quietly and have my skills of um, dining and utensils and everything. So um, I, from an early age, gravitated toward food, but my first official food classes, I took some camps and stuff, like probably in elementary and middle school, but high school was the first time that I actually was in a formal culinary training. Um, I took a couple courses in nutrition and I just loved it. I threatened my parents that I was going to apply to culinary school and they were like, this is great, but maybe you can have that culinary experience and a formal or just like a traditional college experience all in one. So that's how I selected dietetics for my major going into college. And also randomly found out when I was applying that my great grandma was a dietetics major, became a dietitian, a registered dietitian after. So like, thank you for telling me that this is really deeply instilled in my DNA, all of this food knowledge and love. So started taking food classes for my major in college. And just, I, I just have always, it's the subject that gives me the most interest. There are so many things that I can't relate to, or it's over my head, or I'm just a little bit bored by, but this is something that I just have always been fascinated by. I, um, like even in my earlier days of not taking the classes, but just whenever I would give presentations in school, always would have a food element, always would bring in food, always would be watching Food Network. Like I always tell the story of like, um, in fourth grade, we had to do a DIY project and most people did how to build a popsicle stick frame or something like that. And mine was how to make a French apple tart like Sarah Moulton on Food Network. And I layered this like mandolin apple on top of this homemade um, crust and everything. And yeah, that's just kind of where my mind always was. Wow. So are you more of a kind of a fancy food person or are you more of kind of a burgers and grilled cheese or or all of the above definitely all of the above but I think I have the affinity and appreciation for formal cuisine and I can respect that and see the work that people put into it and the skill that it takes to put that food on the table and I appreciate it. I can't appreciate it every day because that is just a little bit too much and too formal for me. And typically like when I go out to eat with my boyfriend or something, I prefer something a little bit more low-key, casual, something that you can just sit down and not have to have the white tablecloth and a fancy environment distracting. Like I just want to chill and enjoy my food without having to think about the manners and all of the things around it. Yeah. Well, and since you've become one of Atlanta's food experts, you know, whenever we watch Guy Fieri, we're like, how is he not hugely overweight? Because he is, you know, when we see him, he's indulging in very decadent diner fried food. So I'm sure that's one of the hazards of what you do. (laughs) It certainly is. Well, first of all, Props to Guy in so many ways. That's what I watch on Friday nights. I am binging Triple D when that's on back-to-back on Food Network. So I love Guy Fieri. I just think he's such a 
funny, positive figure in the food space. And he's done so much for giving back to restaurant industry workers. So I respect him immensely. But um, I also cannot fit a triple stack ultimate burger in my mouth in one bite the way he does like the knuckle sandwich. So you won't see me doing that, but you'll see me try to do that with like a single patty burger. But um, I think he's just awesome. And yes, it's a hazard that you might gain weight um, doing it. I probably have, and I probably am just going to be accepting of my body in that way. I think it's always a push and pull and all because food that you see on Instagram or on TV is typically more indulgent. Like I said, like a triple stack burger that you could envision Guy Fieri eating or some sort of cheesy pull of mac and cheese or a spaghetti and meatball or just something that's visually very um, pleasing. Those are more Mm -hmm. indulgent dishes. That's just not the reality of like my diet on the day-to-day basis. I try to like respect my body with nourishing foods at the same time too. I think it's all about the balance of enjoying these indulgent dishes, but also trying other foods that can still be tasty and healthy for your body. And I guess that's really where my dietetics stuff comes in, but I do that. And I try to go to hot yoga like five days a week. So that doesn't hurt either. (laughs) Yeah. And that opens up your appetite too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It allows me to eat more. That's for sure. So let's talk about the Atlanta food scene because, um, you know, we both live here in Atlanta and um, I live on the north side of town. You live in town. Um, So how would you describe it? Wow. I would say evolving. I would, I think like in any given period of time, the Atlanta food scene has been changing, growing, transforming into something better and bigger every single year. Um, Especially in the North side, so much evolution in food there. In in town, ITP Atlanta, same thing is happening. I think we are getting a higher concentration of incredible restaurants. We're attracting incredible talent. And we're also opening up the palates of the people that live in Atlanta. The more that we're exposed to different cuisines or different types of food, the more that people and business owners or people that want to own a restaurant or a business are like, okay, there's an audience for this. We can exist here. So I think there's a lot more acceptance and evolution that's come over the past couple of years. I mean, think about past 10 years, night and day, the past 20 years, Oh my gosh, like I, I can't even imagine. And 30 years ago, I don't even think Highway 400 was built. So I think we have seen a dramatic shift. Um, and it's a positive shift. I think the more that we can have accepting and adventurous eaters, the more that people are accepting and open to different cultures, different people. And I think that just adds to progress in the world. So I love to see it. And I think we're going to continue on this path too. For sure. I remember when I moved to Atlanta in the mid 80s and Atlanta was calling itself an international city, largely because of the airport. You know, the vision was really passed by the airport. And and for me, it felt like a stretch calling us an international city back then. But today we truly are. And of course, that's that's reflected in the food that we now have at our disposal with, with all of the wonderful ethnic infusion restaurants. 
Definitely. I would say, I mean, the airport, we're always going to have that as our bragging right, definitely. And it still continues to be a great point of conversation for anybody in the world, you know, meet anybody and say, well, I'm from Atlanta, you know, the biggest, busiest airport in the world. But I definitely think that so much has changed. And I think I really don't know about the political systems that have enabled more of that change to happen. But I really think just like Buford Highway, for example, being, I think it's 36 miles long. And for that to be just a treasure trove of incredible diverse restaurants, that being number one. But then I know on the north side of Atlanta, like there's so many great restaurants. There's incredible Indian cuisine, Chinese cuisine, Thai food, like anything you're looking for exists in Atlanta now. And I don't know if that's always been the case. Like it was easier to find a classic American dish, but it wasn't as easy to find all of the like, all of the different cuisines that we have today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So recently I was uh, at a banquet and met the owner of Desta. Oh, Desta, great spot. It's not far from me either. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been there yet, but it it just sounds so amazing. So those are the gems that we have throughout Atlanta. There's actually like three other, or no, three total Ethiopian spots within a probably mile and a half radius from my house. And one of them's Desta, there's Fadil Bistro and Gion or Gion, G-H-I-O-N near me. And they're all fantastic. It's a really cool thing too, because I think when you move to Atlanta and in the past several decades, there's always been this power in PR and media that supported these bigger restaurants. And I think we're also seeing a shift in the past, you know, chunk of time. And as we progress forward, that smaller restaurants can exist and be just as influential as mm-hmm. these big restaurants, um, not just chains, but just restaurants that have a lot of um, backing and financially, or a lot of great, powerful investors or whatever that may be. But um, smaller restaurants can exist and be just as influential these days. Yeah, for sure. And I feel that we're still, the the restaurants are still figuring their way out of COVID. The workforce just contracted so much during that time. And I know it's been so challenging for a lot of restaurants to stay in business just from a staffing perspective. So pray and hope that they figure that out soon because I love a good restaurant. Yeah. It's really sad that the industry has been hit so hard and it's really like going back to what I was saying about Guy Fieri, I believe he has donated, I think more than $80 million to the restaurant industry workers. And it's important that we all acknowledge that you know, COVID did deeply affect the restaurant industry and it's deeply affected the trajectory of how we interact in the restaurant space. And like currently, if I'm going into a restaurant, I am tipping way more than I would have Mm pre-COVID. I am acknowledging that like it's short-staffed potentially and that I'm going to have more patience in a restaurant. And I think we all have to open our eyes and understand that, that like, the level of service is going to be a little bit different. There's still incredible, there's great service happening in Atlanta and there's great restaurant workers and there's great staff and owners and talent, but there is a shift and we all have to just be aware and be a little bit 
patient and also understand that they can't accommodate every single ask that's asked, like every modification and substitution and, um, you know, I, it's just having that respect for the position that they're in. I'm hoping that as a general population, we're able to see that and respond to that in a good way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, I mean, it's, it's a hard business to be in, so they should be getting our utmost respect. It's a gift really that they're there to serve us. So yes. Agreed. Super amazing. So, uh, okay. So I know you love to dine out. Are you a cook at home as well? Yes, I am a home cook as well. And that kind of helps me balance all of my indulgent meals out is that my mainstay is cooking my food at home. And I, I make a lot of different things. Some people go on a routine or a rotation of certain recipes. I'm across the board, across the map. I actually order my groceries from this place called Fresh Harvest, and it's a Atlanta-centric company. They work with all of the small organic farmers around the state of Georgia and a couple in like Tennessee and bring in organic produce and like stuff that local vendors make of pre-made meals and different and like chocolates and olive oils and all of these like special fancy things. So I get my meals from there and then my produce is coming in seasonally like changing. So I just kind of take what I get from Fresh Harvest and I make a meal that seems balanced based on everything. And I'm just always changing up the menu and always just trying to have my my carbs and my good veggies <laughs> and some protein and some fats and something that makes it taste good. But yeah, I'm in my hands are pretty dry because I'm washing them from cooking a lot. I feel your pain, sister. So are you so are you then just kind of what's the cooking show where you open up the basket and you've chopped? Yeah. <laughs> are you are you going all a chop to just make whatever's in the basket? Or are you going by recipes? Pretty much. I would say if I ever get stumped, then I go to Pinterest is my actual first place that I go. I don't know if that's just like the millennial in me and not the like Gen Z who's going to TikTok or whatever. Sometimes I actually have gotten some recipe inspiration on TikTok, but Pinterest is the first place I go if I'm stumped and I have an ingredient that I don't really know what to do with, or I just don't feel like roasting a veggie. I'd like to do something that tastes different. Mm -hmm. Um, I generally go there. I really like the recipes from Half-Baked Harvest. I really like mm -hmm. her stuff. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, the Defined Dish is also pretty good. Um, but I generally am like, okay, um, salmon or broccoli or whatever I have that I'm stumped by. Those probably wouldn't stump me, but I couldn't think of another one. Um, and then just creating, yeah, creating some ideas from there. Or sometimes I'm just waking up and want to read a cookbook and I'll like flip through some pages of some books that I have around and then I get inspiration that way but generally it's more of that chopped strategy or like did you ever watch that show with Robert Irvine and he would go in to somebody's house and it wasn't the restaurant impossible one it was this other show on Food Network back in the day and I remember him like going into people's refrigerators seeing what they had in there and then having to make a meal out of what they had that's how I feel on a daily basis it's just what do we have let's put something together make it balance and somehow make it taste good sometimes it doesn't taste perfect but I'm okay with experimenting with that risk mm -hmm. yeah and I just I my heart goes out to people that don't cook because I know they're probably, they weren't exposed to it 
growing yes. up in, in home or they're overwhelmed or just really not interested, but it really is such a, um, I don't know, it's such an important part of our lives because we're always, you know, we're eating one meal and planning our, our next. And we just find a, um, a lot of joy in, in the cooking and the planning and the preparing and the eating of it. You know, it's just, it's all of that. And I don't know how you can truly be healthy if you're not cooking at home. I agree with that. I think you're completely right, Rena, because you just really, restaurant food is delicious because there's a lot of extra hidden salt and butter and fats and makes it taste amazing. But I, I just think that cooking is a survival skill. It also is a way to deeply appreciate your food even more because you're seeing it go from start to finish. You're seeing it from really being plucked from the ground into a composed dish on your plate. It's really amazing to see that. And I'll tell you, when I start chopping veggies so much that I get a callus on my finger, it makes me appreciate that restaurant food even more to think of the prep cooks that are putting all those ingredients together for you. It's a whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just, I, I'm with you. I have several friends that were not exposed to their parents cooking in the kitchen and they just don't feel comfortable in that world. Mm -hmm. And I wish that people could find a space that they would feel comfortable with it. And I think a lot of it does start in childhood. And that's, I actually, I work with um, a client that is their whole mission is to get kids cooking in the kitchen early and exposed to new foods. It's amazing. I wish it was around when I was little, but, um, but I think that so much of it is having that connection to food at an early age and not, I mean, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. If you weren't exposed in your like up to 18 years of life, I don't know where I would begin. I don't know how I would do this process mm -hmm. of like having my chopped basket of ingredients and plugging and playing and somehow making it taste good. The fundamental knowledge has to be there for you to feel comfortable in the kitchen. And especially some of my friends who are like perfectionists who also don't cook. I think it's because they're afraid to take any risks in the mm -hmm. kitchen. That's, yeah, that's it. That's it for sure. So just a quick random question about you growing up, your childhood. So were you a chicken nugget kid? Did you, did you have that kind of in your diet as well or? or yes, not? I had everything. I was really hungry as a child, to be honest. I, like my dad always jokes about this one time we were, and my dad flies for fun. So he has his pilot's license and he has other friends that are pilots. And one time we'd come back flying and we were flying with his friend. We went to Chick-fil-A. I was five years old. I ate my whole kid's meal and then his friend wasn't finished. She's like, and I said, can I have yours too? And I ate his whole meal too. So I had a very healthy appetite for everything. I was exposed to my fair share of Chick-fil-A and McDonald's growing up, but I was very open to the fancy cuisines that were presented in front of me too. I loved preachy still love preachy that was my favorite spot to go with my grandparents they would take me um there was a restaurant out from I'm trying to think which one maybe checkers but it's not checkers mm -hmm. like the fast food it was the yeah. 
and they had these seafood. incredible, yes, seafood and drop biscuits. Their biscuits were yes. insane. Oh, I'm so glad you know what I'm talking about because I, I could go for one of those biscuits right now. Um, like it's so amazing. good. Amazing. But, you probably yeah. missed the, the peasant restaurants that were in Atlanta. I may have missed those that so that was um it was the pleasant peasant and mix did you ever go to mix mix they kind of were around but they were it was American cuisine but they had like a signature bread they're nicer restaurants you know you would go in and they would have a signature bread and one of them had like a cheese toast that was just calls my name I can still remember it to this day I would I'd pay a pretty penny for a piece of that cheese toast. Maybe I'll dig up some research on that and we'll see if we can get that. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. There were restaurants in Atlanta that predated me that were excellent. And one that I've always heard about is Coach and Six that I really mm-hmm. wish I was able to try. That's like, was my grandparents' favorite restaurant and they were very upset when it closed. But um, yeah, I just... I, I also, my favorite food growing up was Chinese food. I loved Chinese food. So mm-hmm. yeah, I had my fair share of chicken nuggets, but I also was open to whatever was on my plate in front of me because I was just hungry at all times. That's so funny. So we have two kids. Our daughter was our firstborn and she ate like us. She ate everything. You know, we're always cooking soups, trying to be healthy. She would eat everything. And then four years later, her little brother came along and he was just, give me chicken nuggets. I want fries. And we tried not to keep sodas in the house and he would drink soda the the first chance he had at it. Well, now that he's a grown man and has his own house and he's married, he's all about cooking healthy and making soups. And we're like, you just don't know when it's going to stick because he was so not that kid in his house. That's so funny. Well, and I think that's rare that a kid would be that picky and now so adventurous in home cooking. Obviously, your influence of home cooking did pay off in the long run. I will say my little brother, he is six and a half years younger than me. And he was a chicken nugget child who was obsessed with ranch dressing on everything. I did not (laughs) eat ranch in my childhood. It was just not in my palate. And now he experiments with all these foods and he'll send me recipes of good things that he's cooked and tried. And I, I truly think, and I will credit you and like my parents that cooked in front of us and showed us the model. And it just, it sticks. You never know when that is going to hit. It's stuck sometimes. So we talked a little bit about this, about the concept that food is love. I mean, I firmly believe that. I believe that when something is cooked with love wholeheartedly, instead of throwing something together, it just tastes different. So I would love to get your thoughts on the whole idea of food is love. I agree with you. It's a simple statement, but it can be taken so many different ways. I think that, well, in anybody's experience, if you have actually put your hands into a dish and made it yourself, like made a fresh bread or something, like if I've made a bread, I tell you that bread tastes a million times better than if I bought a store raw bread. And it also just tastes better because I just baked it and it's like fresh out yeah. of the um, and bread. And you've been smelling it too. Yes. And smelling it, it and anticipation of it. Mm-hmm. And 
the pride and the steps that it's taken to get to that point of you've put in the energy. I mean, you're physically putting in energy by Mm -hmm. your efforts, your labor, your attentiveness to a recipe, your observation to even pick out like a, a bell pepper that is not dried up like a pretty looking pepper that you know is going to be flavorful in your dish. It's just, there's attention and energy put into every step of the way. And how could that not translate into love and more flavor in your dish? It just couldn't. And especially when you see a family member or somebody at a restaurant doing that preparation for you, it's the same feeling. It can transcend relationships or Uh, Or even if you didn't know somebody, but you know, they prepared this Mm -hmm. dish for you and you saw the process from top to bottom, you would feel that just that love back for them and appreciation that they took the time to make that dish for you. I I think it comes in so many forms from just the individual ingredients to the actual composed dish, to the way that we're able to share that love with each other, like how I make or bake things for people in my life. And I've always done that. I remember I was actually just talking to one of my best friends about in high school when her boyfriend broke up with her. I was like, that was really bad. But I also remember when I made you those homemade red velvet cupcakes to console you and they were awesome. So it's (laughs) it's something that can kind of make people feel better in certain moments or kind of fill a void as much as that's not really the best food speak that food should not replace or feel mm-hmm. emotions. But when somebody has made something for you and you know that they cared about you, they put that together, they brought it to you. Taking a bite is a little different than if you're just like binge eating a butterfinger. So it's, yeah. it's a nice feeling. Yeah. And I think we take it for granted how integrated those traditions traditions are in our culture that are oriented around food. You know, it's like when someone you love has lost somebody or is hurting, you know, you want to do something meaningful. And to me, there's nothing more meaningful than taking a pot of soup or, you know, something you've made by hand. To me, it just has, it has so much more meaning um, because it is, it's a gift of the heart. It is. You're so right. And I think, I mean, that's something in those hard times. And we've had, unfortunately, some things happen in our lives recently where we've been like, what do we do? You feel helpless. Mm -hmm. So it's really love on both ends because on the end of the person suffering, you know, they need some love filled in their life. And on the person that cares about the person suffering, you just want to do something, but you don't really know how. And I think Mm -hmm. food is the easiest expression of just being there for somebody and showing that you have love and care for them. And I think it doesn't require words to do that. Like this is just an act where you're able to say all of that without having to say all of that in those vulnerable times and moments. Exactly. Exactly. And somebody gave me some helpful advice. So, you know, we're well-meaning when somebody loses a loved one or has a you know, diagnosed with some type of um, ailment. And, you know, oftentimes we say, how I can help. And this person was saying, don't say that, you know, be very specific and saying, I'm at Target right now and I'm picking you up milk and some bread and some eggs. Do you need to adjust this or or add anything to the list? And you just 
you just give it your best shot and you just do it. I thought that was really, really good advice because we're all well-meaning when we say, let me know yes. how I can help. And then people in crisis aren't going to say, oh, hey, you know, by the way, can you do this with me? It's just not, it's just not going to happen. Right. And to require them to have to decide on things for you, you know, mm-hmm. let me know how I can help. Well, I need about a hundred million things right now, but I don't know how to delegate and tell you exactly what I need. What somebody does need every day is to be fed. And it's a good way for you to just put yourself in a position where you're helping somebody. And, you know, I just think there's no better way to show that in those moments because I I truly don't know what else to do in those hard moments. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Like I just, food is where my head goes. Food is love. Yeah. Okay, Sky. So let's talk about the foodie phenomenon because I feel like it, it's a thing that just continues to grow. It was you wouldn't hear about people claiming to be foodies very often, but now more and more people are, you know, saying, yeah, I'm a foodie. What do you think is fueling that? That's a really good question because I think, I mean, food is one of those, we all are exposed to food on a daily basis. Um, You know, we're lucky to be privileged enough to have food in our lives. But if you are a human, it requires food as fuel for you to exist and survive. So it's just one of those things that we're all connected by, but also that we're really familiar with. With the foodie world and its evolution, I would say, I mean, really, like we were talking about earlier, just how Instagram gravitates toward that type of content and how people get likes and engagement out of sharing that content. I think that's kind of the attraction of being a foodie in today's landscape is to go to places, share this and get likes and get followers out of it. I think there are some people that are like me or you who feel that um, connection to food in a deeper way and maybe have learned things about it or studied it or taken courses or use food as a vessel toward helping people in a certain way. And to me, those are like the key foodie people that I am attracted to engaging with. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of noise around being a foodie of people that are just sharing something and it maybe doesn't taste great or they had a bad experience, but they don't want to admit it because the photo looks good or whatever. And I I wish there was a little bit more of like self-editing on that with some people. For me, I'm very harsh about my self-editing. If I don't enjoy something, I'm not sharing it. If I um, don't feel comfortable in a space, I don't want to tell other people to have the experience where they don't feel comfortable. So I think the phenomena is just pretty much there's more opportunities for people to put content out there. There's more opportunities for people to share like really food porny like images and videos, but it's also kind of curating who is that voice that you trust, who is giving recommendations that actually make sense, or who is working in this world of exclusively pay to play without any um, consideration of their audience and what their audience like is wanting out of them. Like, I think it kind of has to be that exchange. If you're just doing it because you want the engagement, but you don't want 
to consider their opinions into your content, then it's not as much of a mutual relationship and it needs to be mutual when you're putting your content out there. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know when I, when a pretty plate comes across my way, I got to pull out my camera and take a picture. Yes. Have yes. To. I don't I always share it, but I do it with every good dish that I'm eating. And even if it doesn't look pretty, I still have to just document it for the moment. So we know what <laughs> I eat when I'm there. So I think that's awesome. And I don't, want to discount that. I just think there's a lot of noise out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's probably more pictures of food on my phone than anything except my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. It's my cat and my plates. That's all it is on my phone. (laughs) For sure. Okay. Since we're talking Atlanta here, I must know some of your favorite places. Okay. Okay. And I know that's probably going to be hard for you, but best breakfast. Best breakfast. You can have a few. Okay. All right. I'll rattle them off. One is in your neck of the woods. I just ate there the other day. Hen Mother Cookhouse. Have you been there? I just drove by that by that place. Is it amazing? Rena, please go take your food photos and let me know what you think because you <laughs> will have an experience. It is incredible. Everything is scratch made. It's just in the visuals. I can't even. Mm. It's just over the top. Everything is delicious and she sources really great ingredients too. But I would try Hen Mother. That's one of my favorite spots in all of Atlanta, hands down. Oh, wow. And the funniest, okay. the funniest thing is that I lived right around the corner from there. Where I could have walked from my neighborhood growing up. And I'm like, maybe this is a good thing it didn't exist while I was growing up. I don't know. But I I feel like I missed out on childhood because of this. Um, so <laughs> Hen Mother is like my number one. I think right now and I love buttermilk kitchen in Buckhead it's Mm, one of my favorites fabulous biscuits have you tried their biscuits yes yes and a really cool really cool vibe and scene in the old house and everything oh yeah it's very it's very homey and it's another woman-owned restaurant both of those are and they're Mm -hmm. fabulous and there's also another spot by me I think I mentioned this in Rotary Club, but um, it's called the Daily Chew and it's open for breakfast, brunch, lunch, and you can also do to go for other meals, but their breakfast is fabulous. They have scratch made pastries every day, a really excellent Mm -hmm. menu of options, whatever you're craving they have. And it's all locally sourced food, um, produce and otherwise, it's just like Talk about food is love. It's just, they, they go the extra mile, all of these restaurants to make it taste incredible. Oh my gosh. Well, and, uh, West, West, West Egg. Oh yeah. West Egg in Midtown. Yes. Their bacon with the brown sugar on it. Have you? Yeah. So yeah. First of all, bacon period is going to make me happy with brown sugar on top of it. Next level. My dad is obsessed with that kind of bacon. Like he used to at his company holiday party. Sorry, dad, I'm outing you on this, but he used to bring a Ziploc bag in his tuxedo for his formal holiday parties because they had this really good candied bacon that he would put in his Ziploc and bring home with him because that's how neurotic he is. No way. Yes. He had to bring it home for me to try. <laughs> oh, food yeah. is love. Yes, food is love. I, I respect it. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So are you a brewery girl? 
I am. I really can only have maximum two beers or I don't feel great, but I love being in the brewery environment. And I think Atlanta has a wealth of breweries. Really like hard to even narrow down, but all of the ones I like have food involved. Um, One that opened. Surprise. I am surprised. Well, you have a beer. You need to have a piece of something. Like you need to. For sure. During it. Do you have a favorite brewery? Well, I love Sweetwater just because it's kind of. Yeah. And they have been successful. Yeah. Yeah. They renovated so much over COVID and they have a gorgeous lawn and the indoor outdoor garage doors. Mm -hmm. I really love the space at Sweetwater too. I think, have you been to um, Bold Monk in West Midtown? Kind of the West Ag area, but um, that spot is gorgeous. It's just a really pretty restaurant that also happens to be a brewery and they have outdoor seating too. I really like it there because they have incredible fries and, you know, I am a sucker for French fries. My first job, my job title was French fry aficionado. So <laughs> I'm a big fry person and especially with beer, it just goes together. Um, I also love Orpheus Brewing. It's near Piedmont Park. Mm-hmm. So over near me, it's a smaller brewery and um, yeah, it's cute. It's like, yeah, you should check it out. Well, let me know when you go, because I don't live far from there and okay. Sounds walk Piedmont park after, but mm, um, yeah. yeah. And I just love like the brewery scene, you know, it's just they're gathering spots, you know, and you see people with your young kids and their dogs and, and it's definitely more of a younger person vibe, but you know, I love, I love a good brewery just to sit out in the sun and hang out and, you know, chat. I agree. I think the actual vibe of breweries is amazing and I love it. And it's just such a, it's an easy gathering spot with your friends. Like you don't know what to do during the day. You just go to a brewery and it goes back to that. Do you want to be in a really formal space or do you want to be in a casual space when you're enjoying food and drinks with your friends? And I like being in a brewery casual space too. I also love Monday night brewing. Um, and they have like tacos there. So I definitely had a birthday party there this year because it was so good. Yeah. And New Realm. Oh, yeah. New They've Realm. Got real, good, real good food. Talk about a stringy mac and cheese. New Realm has that. They've got the cheese pulled down. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that out. Okay. So your favorite dive or hidden gem. Okay. Do share some of those, Sky. Yeah, I like, I wrote a couple down and I actually, this is one of the harder questions that I've gotten, even though you've asked some puffies in this entire conversation, because <laughs> there are so many hidden gem places, but okay, a couple that come to mind. Um, the first I say, all right, there's this adorable, your husband would probably like this, this Italian market in Dunwoody called East 48th Street Market. Have you heard of it? Been there. It's amazing. Amazing. The slices. It's just fully authentic. Exactly. Like that's Atlanta needs more of those. We need more mm-hmm. delis and we need more Italian delis. Like yes. I would say those are the two things. But I love East 48th Street Market. Um, there's a place called Poco Loco in like Kirkwood Cabbage Town area. Mm-hmm. And um they make scratch made breakfast burritos and they're insane um 
it, it's just a really good spot. People know about it a little bit, but I think it's still under the hidden gym category that like most people don't. But once you eat a bite of that burrito with the homemade tortillas and the new ingredients that they bring in every week and they make the homemade salsa and sauces and everything, it's, they sell out all the time. It's great. Oh, that sounds amazing. I, know. I really need to go back there in the next couple of weeks, but I also need to maybe do hot yoga that day. Um, but Poco Loco is fabulous. Um, there's a place on Buford Highway that I just went for the first time recently, but like I thought about it several times. Um, it's called White Windmill Bakery and it's amazing. Mm. It, you can go there for just like lunch or um, breakfast, but you can also go there to pick up any pastry you ever could want or order your cakes or anything like that. Um, I found these cookies and I don't know what they're called, but they essentially, they looked like a little cheesecake cup or something, but they were like mm. pound cake in a small form, like a mini muffin pound cake. And <laughs> of those with a little crunchy outside, love them. Highly recommend white windmill. And I, I would go back there every week just for something different. They, they also have um, some more like traditional pastries and it's, it's a great spot. And I guess the other two that I'm thinking of, I live over in my neck of the woods. There's this place called Little Bangkok and it has been, I think it's been there at least 30 years, but the Thai food is phenomenal. Like I've been to Thailand and taking cooking classes in Thailand and it is spot on incredible Thai food. I love it so much. Um, yeah, it's really good. And there's also one other spot that I'm like, that's near Sweetwater right over there, um, that just opened called Capella cheese and Mm -hmm. the cheesemonger used that owns it used to work at Bacchanalia and Mm. sourced all of their food and provisions from there. And then he opened up his own spot. It's amazing. Just the best cheeses that you could find anywhere in the world, the best meats. They have like other little accoutrement there, like jams and jellies and chocolates and they even make sandwiches there. Yes. Great crackers. It's really good. Well, now I am so hungry. <laughs> no, I get aggravated with my husband because, I mean, when you watch cooking shows, it opens up your appetite yes. and you want, you want that thing that they're cooking right there. I know. Well, now it's like we should have been together in person. So I could have brought you food so that this could be yeah. this full circle food is love. But next time I definitely will. But um, yeah, when I talk about food, I get hungry too. It's, and when I do my research for food, I get hungry thinking about things too. It's just when you concentrate on it all the time, I don't think it's uh, human nature to not get hungry. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that you've been able to make a career out of your love and passion for food, but in doing that, you've learned a whole lot about social media. So tell us about that part of your business, Sky. Yes. Well, I started working in food and media right outside of, right out of college. And, um, the company I was working for at the time, I really Instagram was just starting to be relevant. It was 2014 
and Instagram only started in 2012. So everybody was kind of finding their path. And my goal was to first get to 10,000 followers on Instagram. And then I took it to almost 50,000 before I left like two and a half years later. So it was a lot of experimenting and figuring out what was working and how to get good food photos. The other thing in my background that has helped me is that I took photography all through high school. I even learned like darkroom development and how to take like compositionally sound Mm -hmm. photos. So that actually helped me somehow just know that like, yeah, taking quality photos is a, and videos now are, those are essential components to building a food brand on social. So um, I took those skills to my job after that as well. And just really focused on marketing and did the same growth model and got it over up to 50,000 followers. And then um, since I've been working for myself about three and a half years, I work with clients to help build engagement and growth. And, you know, we're not in the times anymore, like from 2014 to 2018, it was a lot easier to grow your following. It just was, um, based on the algorithm and, um, the way that things were working within Facebook and Instagram, but you can still grow in this day and age. And it just takes seeing what's working and having somebody dive into what's, what is working and how are we getting this messaging across and are we getting a call to action out there? So I work with a lot of clients that are food centric and try to get that message simply stated and with a pretty visual out there. Yeah. It's so hard to grow a following. It it really is. So do you have any tips? I would say, okay, like top three tips for social media growth in this day and age would be post regularly. So when you're trying to be on a growth path, I would say do stories every day Mm -hmm. and then do posts on your feed that are like living on your feed. Um, Probably I would say five days a week and, but don't sacrifice quality necessarily to post that regularly three to five days a week of quality posts that are varied between like reels carousels and just static post images um, and then doing stories in tandem with that then I would say interact and engage with your audience and beyond so answer comments and dms that you're getting um, maybe like comment on a couple of people that you follow that are like in the same line of work that you're doing and just like Mm -hmm. say, wow, that was such an interesting interview or whatever you need to say to make your name pop up under somebody else's information. That's kind of in that same, looking for the same stuff that you offer. So engagement is a number two, like number one, posting regularly. Number two, engagement. Number three, I would say, to probably dive into what's working. So like not saying that you have to hire somebody like me, but just from a general glance, knowing, okay, we put out 15 posts this month and we're seeing that people actually are gravitating towards these carousel posts where I'm talking about a day in the life leading into an interview. Okay, I need to continue doing that type of content and beyond um, versus putting all this time into making reels that aren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So kind of evaluating the content. 
Okay, and then last thing, sorry. I'm just gonna give you one more tidbit. Of course. I think doing branded collaboration and working either with um, partners that you'll both share the posts on your feeds. So it's going mm -hmm. to different audiences and or hiring influencers to put your content on their feed. You need to go and put, and this is not just specifically to you, but just for anybody who is trying to grow their account, um, making sure that your content is not in silo. Like it is not just appearing on your feed. That works too, but it's going to work a lot better if you have other people supporting your content and sharing it on their feeds to get more people exposed to the work that you're doing. Yeah. That's so that's just the tip really, of the iceberg, but yeah. yeah. That's really great information. And so many people think, oh, social media, I'll hire a millennial to do that. But it's so much more than that. You know, it's um, it requires good writing, good storytelling, good visuals, like you said, are, are so important. Um, timing, you know, do you do video or do you do a static post or, right. or a reel, you know, and it's changing all of the time. Totally. Uh, one thing that really aggravates me about Facebook is I work with nonprofits and, you know, they just they just want you to pay to play. And it's like, really, can't you do a separate algorithm for nonprofit? I think the beast is too far gone with the way that the algorithm could be provided or giving different options for different types of businesses. I agree with you. I think that that's terrible and a mess and that nonprofits should not have to be using their hard-earned dollars to or there should be some sort of like non reach your audience you know right. it's like, like we're gonna let four people see this post it's like right. well thanks, thanks for right that. exactly and it's like well we've invested time energy and conversation into creating this post and then now four people have seen it. That's wonderful. <laughs> I will say, even when engagement is lower, providing a feed that is reflective of your brand and has information about what you're doing or just, you know, speaks the same language of whatever nonprofit or whatever brand that you're catering to, it helps people get a glimpse of who you are before they commit to follow. So even if you're not getting high engagement on every post, there's still value to that post in terms of adding to the conversation of what your brand is. So that's something that I think would be helpful to know when some posts are just a flop. And that's just the, unfortunately, everybody, even if you have a million followers, you're going to have some flopping posts in this day and age with this algorithm. It just is what it is. It is what it is. And it's, you know, it's, it's the time. Um, so do you think we've kind of peaked with social media? Like are people um, on their screens less, do you think? Or I would or say not? definitely not. Um, I not would yet. say that's a wonderful question. It's almost an existential one at that. So great. But I think our screen time is going up and up every year. I even was reading a study about people's attention span going to shorter and shorter increments. I think 20 years ago, it was two and a half minutes. Now it's 47 seconds. So we're really on the decrease. Dramatic decline. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and social media definitely is the top contributor to that, I would mm -hmm. think, and just the fast pace of life in this technological age versus 20 years ago. But um, I, I think things will continue changing. Screen time, I believe, will continue increasing. But people may have more autonomy and understanding of what's going on, like even getting data saying that our attention spans are decreasing dramatically. Maybe people will think, okay, well, this is mentally unhealthy for me. I'm going to like set parameters for myself or set boundaries on my screen time or how I'm going to be navigating social media. I see a lot of trends of people um, unfollowing accounts that they find unhealthy and being more interested in accounts that are sharing an authentic approach in life, still glamorizing it a bit and not showing everything or over, you know, oversharing some things. Yeah. But, you know, the, the peak of the curated influencer that is just, you know, showing themselves and not supporting other brands, accounts, nonprofits, or something, that might be past our peak. And I think also just the way that we interacted with social media um, and having like an easy growth strategy may have also peaked. I would, I would argue that on TikTok, there's still a growth strategy available, but it's still not easy. Any way that you want to spin it, like it, when mm -hmm. I started doing Instagram, it was like, if you just post regularly and like other people's posts, you're going to grow. And it's just a surefire thing. And that I would unfortunately think is behind us, but there's always new social media um, channels coming into the market. And I don't want to be discouraging in my like words around it. I just think that it is hard. Like it's not an easy thing to grow. And I think that our mentality around it has changed too. Like you were saying of some people just saying, oh, just hire a millennial and they'll just do it. It's not that easy. And there's so much coordination. There's, okay, well, where's the content coming from? Are we getting a photo shoot? Are we having videographers? How are we doing this on a regular basis? What does our language look like? How do we build these copy points? What are our most important calls to action? Like, mm -hmm. how are we distilling who we are into siphoned posts throughout time. So there is a lot of strategy behind it. I mean, I am a millennial, so I think millennials <laughs> are a great person to hire, but yeah, social media is not going anywhere, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to our um, conversation around food, where it's, you have to have healthy balance with food and I think social media too. And, you know, one thing that grieves me is to see people at a restaurant with their heads in their phones, phones away, re-engage. I mean, I think we're, you know, we're kind of losing the art of com communicating real time, you know, I, just because we've gotten so used to the screens. Yes, it's definitely changing our communication patterns for sure. And just our manners of like, what is acceptable and what is not? And like, I'm battling that and on. How do you talk to people? I, I just am shocked at how people talk yes. to, you know, how they represent themselves on social media, first of all, and then how they apply in the most outrageous of ways about things. I'm like, yes. it all leaves a trail. 
at all, you know, you should be concerned about your personal brand at all times. And whenever you leave a nasty comment, it can come back to get you. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge thing too. It's not just how social media is affecting our manners and interactions in face-to-face form, but it's how we need to recognize that our conversation and communication online still is reflective of who you are in person. So if I, if somebody that let's, for example, if an influencer wants to work with one of the brands that is one of my clients and Mm -hmm. I've seen them write something negative on their feed or write a nasty comment or put something out there that's mean, I don't want to work with that person. It does affect your relationships in a digital and in-person space and it's going to live there forever. Don't put negative things on social media. And I firmly believe that with restaurants too, like do not blast a restaurant on social media. Mm -hmm. If you have an issue with the restaurant, call the manager and talk to them directly because that is an efficient process in communication Mm -hmm. and actually getting to solve the problem. If you just say something nasty and mean and deter other people from attending or going to this restaurant, what good is that putting in the world? We all need to be really, really sensitive and aware of, are we adding to a positive spiral of good things or are we adding to a negative spiral? Because it's so easy to choose the other way and it's not the best way in my opinion. You are singing my song, girlfriend. Well, one last question to close us out. So the yeah. word relevate, it's really a word. It means yes. to uplift or inspire. And uh, Sky, close us out with a, with a closing inspirational word about food is love. Well, thanks, Rima. Um, okay. I'm, I think just really, first of all, I'm just so appreciative of you having me on and that food has become a connector for us. And- I'm- us having that understanding for each other of that we love something and you know we didn't know each other until a few weeks ago so it's now bridging the gap and connecting us and I think that food does that to Mm -hmm. everybody it can cross any boundary if you put food on the table and I think we all if we can like I mean I know I cannot influence the entire world, but if I can just shine my light in the way that I can to the people around me to keep dominoing in a more positive space to say that I really do think that if people are able to interact with each other and have something in common, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to share a meal, but let's say you're even in an awkward environment, you're at a dinner party, or you're having to be at an office party, you didn't want to be there. And, you know, it's raining out or something. Having the subject of food for you to have a good conversation with somebody and maybe make their night because you're actually talking to somebody and saying something positive, that makes the world go round. Like using food as a vessel for good conversation, for Mm -hmm. understanding each other and for finding things in common. I think that's just the best thing that we could do with it. That is such a great word to close us out, Sky. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your time. I know you're super busy and um, let's get together and enjoy a real meal and real conversation, not on yes. the screens yes. really soon. So how do people find you on, on the web and social media? Do share. Yes. Okay. So if you 
follow me on Instagram. My handle is at sky.estroff. So my first name, dot last name. And like I was saying to you, it's E-S-T-R-O-F-F, like French fry. So you can follow me there. I also, my food TV show, Foodie Road Trip, has an Instagram account at Foodie Road Trip TV. And you can also check out all the things I'm doing on sky-estroff.com and foodieroadtrip.com. And that is Sky with an E, right? <laughs> yes. E on the end of Sky. Yes. Another great distinguished point there. It's such a stage name too. Are you sure you didn't? It really came about because my dad flies, but I think, you know, I, it just fits. The name fits. A great, great name. Well, thank you so much for being here on the Relevate podcast. Keep eating, keep shining. And I look forward to seeing you real, real soon. Thank you, Rena. I can't wait to have a meal together very soon. Okay, Scott. Thanks so much. Thank you. Food really is love. While we need its nourishment to exist, it can be a great joy in our lives. Like Sky said, not all food needs to be indulgent. You can find joy in the simplest of foods. Like homemade bread, freshly scrambled eggs, a perfectly ripened peach. Let's get cracking and cooking in the kitchen. Love awaits. And you can find yours truly, Rena Olson, online at rena-olson.com. And that is R-E-N-A-O-L-S-E-N.com. On social, you can find me at Rena Olson. And Facebook, it's Rena T. Olson, T in the middle. More inspiring conversations coming your way very soon.